church. Good morning and happy Father's Day. I know that we have already said uh, that we're thankful for fathers. Hope that you got a donut on the way in. You deserve a whole lot more than that, but just add it to the list of less than perfect Father's Day gifts. Right. Fathers, I want to thank you, but I also want to challenge you as we start our time together. When Jesus came to earth, he used the analogy of father to tell us about the first person of the Trinity. He said, what is our creator like? He's like a really, really good dad. And you have an opportunity in the day-to-day activities with your kids as you serve them and you provide for them and you teach them to show them what our Heavenly Father's like. That's a big role. That means that we need to be forsaking sin. We need to be loving our wives. And we need to be leading our kids to the living waters of Scripture. It's how can we measure up or reflect that role in any way that honors God apart from his power. So we thank you. Fathers, you have a vital part in our community and in our church. We all turn with me this morning to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 17 through 22. This is where we're going to be today. Ephesians 2, 17 through 22. And what has Ephesians 2 really been about? We've painted two before and after pictures. Paul said in Ephesians 2.1, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God made us alive. And now with our new spiritual life, we are set on purpose as his workmanship to glorify him by living out good works. And then last week, starting in verse 11, we talked about before Christ, we were divided by culture. And Paul told us about this divide that was the Jews and the Gentiles of his day. But Christ came to bring peace and take the two groups and establish one new man, that is the church. And so in verses 17 through 22 today, we see Paul paint the after picture and tell us what the church is supposed to be about. And so today we're going to consider how should a healthy church be built to be built in a way that honors and glorifies our God. And sometimes, y'all, when we talk about other churches, we, we don't talk about our church. We, we like to talk about how other churches are failing, right? That's a little more comfortable. We don't reflect on God's word. We deflect God's word. And so we need to put our community to the test this morning to say, is Connection Church Athens built on a foundation that is honoring to God? So will you read with me Ephesians 2? 17 through 22. And he came and preached peace to you who are far away, peace to those who were near. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building, being fitted together, is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for this description of how the redeemed of Christ are supposed to operate in community. So, Father, I pray, would you guide us into truth? Would you protect us from error and misunderstanding? God, if we're not building this church the right way, Father, I pray you would show us that this morning, Lord. Would you give me the words to speak, Father? We just want you to be glorified in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Olivia and I got married 
in June of 2018. In fact, we're going to celebrate our four-year anniversary this Thursday. I had just turned 21 when we got married. And yes, most people were amazed that her father gave me his blessing. We were pretty young, and we were both pursuing our undergraduate degrees at that time. The older I get, the more I realize just how young we were. Kind of crazy. But we did it, and I would do it again. And I won't lie to you. Finances were a little bit of a concern as we started our marriage. We were both in school, and I was working as a youth pastor in my hometown. And so we jumped at the chance to renovate and live in a house that belonged to my great-grandfather who died in 2015. Now, this house was just uh, seven minutes away from the church I was pastoring. It was built in 1908. Now, on the inside, it didn't look like 1908, but it looked firmly in the 1970s. And so in January of 2018, we started on a six-month renovation. We kind of cleaned up the house a little bit. We took down paneling. We refinished hardwood floors. We put a mantle in over the fireplace. We uh, caulked shiplap, made that look good, changed color on the walls, redid the trim, and we were really able to make it into something that we were very proud of. The house turned out really great, and I'm indebted to so many friends and family for us to start our marriage in a place like that. Turned out really good. Fast forward to November on a Sunday night. I'm laying in bed fast asleep, and I feel my wife tapping me. And it wasn't this like one finger tap, like wake up at your convenience. It was a whole hand like, wake up now. I roll over in the bed. My wife has her head on the pillow, and she's holding her nose. And she says, Liam, I lit a candle, and it did nothing. At this point, I'm still trying to wake up. I had no idea what was going on, couldn't really see straight, senses are booting up, and then I smelled it. The worst smell I've ever smelled in my life. It smelled like burning tar to the extent that my eyes were watering. My first impression was that the house was on fire. So I get up and I run to the living room where the fireplace is. I expect to see the whole room filled with smoke, and there's nothing. At this point, my emotions are all going crazy. You ever have that moment where you're just freaking out and you just have to like, get yourself together. We got to figure this out. So I just stopped. What is that smell? And that's when it hit me because it wasn't as strong in the living room as it was in the bedroom. And it was the highest concentration of skunk <laughs> that I hope any human has ever smelled. Needless to say, we packed a bag quickly, and we fled the house. That was a fun conversation with my dad at 1 a.m. <laughs> Liam, are you okay? Yeah, Dad, no problem. Skunk spray on the house. Be over there in a minute. Bye. <laughs> so after everybody got a good night's sleep, that's a joke, we went back to the house to investigate. How did this happen? Turns out, under the back porch, there was a small hole in the foundation. And critters had been using the hole. After more investigation, we found out that our cat, Bob, went under the house. Skunk goes under the house, and Bob and Skunk, under the house, engage in an epic battle <laughs> under the house. And the skunk won. And everybody else lost. 
And after about 10 days, we were able to move back in. I share that story for two reasons. One, it's just funny. Right? It's just a funny story. I uh, told Olivia, she asked me this week, she said, hey, you ready for Sunday? I said, yeah, I'm going to share the skunk story. Is that okay? She kind of cut her eyes at me and said, that's fine, but it's still not funny. (laughs) But the second reason I share that story, y'all, is because we worked on that house for a long time. But the changes and the renovations were mostly cosmetic. And when I was holding my nose and fleeing the house, I wasn't looking at the color on the wall or the trim because I was suffering from a hole in our foundation. And I wonder, are there churches in our communities and in our country that look very good cosmetically? These churches have great speakers and beautiful facilities, great programs, but are they built the right way? Are they built in a way that honors and glorifies God? And church, our enemy, Satan the skunk, is looking for these holes to exploit and blow up the church. And so we must be built the right way. In these few short verses, I see four essentials, four non-negotiables of church structure. Starting in verse 18, y'all, first point this morning is that the church must enjoy right relationship with the Trinity. Look at verse 18 with me. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. Because of the gospel message, the the people of the church, the redeemed body of Christ, can enjoy access to our triune God. And this is the line in the sand for who is a part of the church and who's not. What makes you a part of the church? Attending? Attending and serving? Attending, serving, and going through the membership class? No. No. We are part of the body of Christ and the bride of Christ if we are in right relationship with our God as Trinity. This is what is the line in the sand that makes us a part of his church. Am I in Christ? You know, in chapter 1, we saw Paul talk about how the work of salvation is a triune work, right? The Father, before time, predestined us for adoption. Christ came and he poured out his blood for the forgiveness of my sins and the Holy Spirit has sealed me for redemption. And in this succinct passage, we see all three persons of the Godhead. Did you see that? For through him, Christ, we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. And so what we see him saying is that, yes, the Trinity saves you, our God, one God in three persons, but we are also sustained and transformed by a work of the Trinity. Enjoyment of our triune God doesn't end at salvation. It actually begins. And the church, individually, corporately, we must be enjoying this access to the Father. And we see in this passage, y'all, something that theologians call the procession of the Trinity. What's the procession of the Trinity? If I ask you to name the three persons of the Godhead, you would say Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Why that order? Is, Is that an accident or is that just a cultural thing that we say Father, Son, Holy Spirit? No. It communicates what the Bible communicates, and that is that our triune God has a procession. This does not mean that the Holy Spirit is somehow less than the Father, but we're taught that everything starts with the Father. He is creator. He is originator. And from the Father, the Son was sent. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. 
And then while the son was here during his ministry in John 14 and 16, he told us he was going back to heaven and that he would send us the promised Holy Spirit. And that intersects my life, right? Because by the work of Christ, him pouring out his blood on me, I am made alive and sealed by the Holy Spirit, and now I have access to the Father. And this triune work, listen to me, y'all, is a two-way street. Now that God has come and reached out to me and made me alive, I can now enjoy him. If we're sitting around in a small group and somebody says, how, how can you enjoy the Father? What are some things I can go do tomorrow to enjoy God? What will we say? Most Sunday school answer ever. Pray, read your Bible. Right? And when we do that, y'all, I want you to hear me. The Trinity is at work. Let me show you how this works. Let's say I go pray. When I pray... The Holy Spirit inside of me is teaching me how to pray. Ephesians 6.18 says pray in the Spirit. Paul says that three other times in his letters. We're called to pray in, by the power of the Spirit according to the will of the Spirit. When I don't know what to say, right, Romans teaches us that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And as I pray, how do I know that the Father will hear me? Because Jesus Christ, the righteous one, is sitting at the right hand of the Father making intercession for me. And when Jesus prayed, who did he teach us to pray to? Pray then this way, our Father who art in heaven. I can pray and know that the Father hears me because of the ministry of the Son and the Spirit. We enjoy right relationship with the Trinity. When I come to this word, the Trinity is at work. Who wrote this book? We may say, oh, well, a lot of different authors. But one author, divinely inspiring many men, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wrote this book. Who is the subject of this book? What is all scripture about? It's about the person of Christ. Jesus said that Moses wrote about him. When Jesus was on the road to Emmaus, he encountered some disciples, and he told them, beginning with the Old Testament, how all of scripture is about Jesus. And does Jesus get all the glory for himself in the revelation of this word? No. Because Jesus praying in John chapter 17 in the Garden of Gethsemane said, Now, Father, glorify your Son that he might glorify you. Right. And it all points back to the Father. Do you all see the two-way street? The Father sent the Son who gave me the Spirit so that now I, by the Spirit and Christ, can reach the Father. And we enjoy this relationship on a daily basis. We come here to do this as well. When we read the passage, we recognize that Christ, our high priest, is ministering to us through our, the revealed words of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is guiding us into truth today. And if we as a body are not enjoying what Christ has given us to know the Father, then we have serious structural issues. Because we are disconnected from a holy God. If we choose not to enjoy the things that he has given us to know the Father. We're going to have success and unity as a church in as much as we pursue our God with the access he's given us by the word of Christ. And if we don't do this, y'all, we can expect problems as a church. This is the thing, that first point, this is the thing that marks us as a body to be enjoying right relationship with our triune God. Second thing I see in this passage, y'all, is in verse 20, or verse 20, excuse me. The church must be built on the person of Christ. The church must be built on the person of Christ. Read verse 20 with me. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. 
church must be built on the person of Christ. I'll give you a spoiler. The third point is that the church must be built on Scripture, the two things we see here in verse 20. But I want to start with Christ because these aren't listed in order of importance, right? Christ is obviously the most important thing in verse 20, that we are built as a church on the cornerstone of Christ. Now, what's the cornerstone? The cornerstone is the most important part of the foundation. It's the big stone that everything else is built upon. And our church and the global church is built on the cornerstone of Christ. I want to give you just quickly three reasons uh, why Christ is our cornerstone. So if you're taking notes, you can jot these down. First one, Christ is the cornerstone of our church because he's the cornerstone of the gospel message. He's the cornerstone of the gospel. Hebrews 2 12.2 says this, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The gospel message, it it was authored and perfected by Christ. Can you imagine a gospel message without the person of Jesus? Imagine, what would be a gospel message apart from Jesus? It would be like, hey, you're dead in your sins and separated from a holy God and That's really all we got. There can't be good news about Jesus. He is the cornerstone of the gospel message. You take Jesus out of the gospel, and we don't have anything. He's the cornerstone. Second one, he's the cornerstone of our mission. He's the cornerstone of our mission. What are we called to do as a church? Our mission statement as a church is we exist to connect all people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, right? Which most churches have these little catchy one-sentence slogans, And mission statements, which were really just a spin or a take on what Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You see the Trinity there? And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Christ is the cornerstone of our mission. Why do we evangelize? Why do we disciple? Why do we invite people to church? Because the resurrected Christ told us to. And this is why we go. Why do we pray that there would be families and people in this church who would be called to go? Because Christ came and he has called us to go. He's given us our marching orders. And this is what we do because this is what he has told us to do. We go because he told us to. And then finally, quickly, he's the cornerstone of my inheritance. He's the cornerstone of my inheritance. That I can know, not guess, I can know that I have right relationship with the Trinity because of the work of Christ. Jesus is resurrected, he's ascended, he's at the right hand of the Father, and I know that I have a seat at the Father's table because of the work of Christ. I have hope for the future. This transforms the way we see life because it transforms the way we see the end of the story. That I know that I will go to heaven and enjoy him forever. That I'll be glorified and given a new body. Eternal life is mine because of my living hope, and that is Jesus Christ. Thirdly, we see in verse 20 that the church is to be built on Scripture. The church is to be built on Scripture. Would you all throw up on the screen verse 20 for me? Notice what it says. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. You may say, well, Liam, I don't see scripture in this, that passage. How can you say verse 20 talks about scripture? Well, let's just talk for a second. Should I build my life on sinful people? 
Should I build my life on sinful people? Absolutely not. So should I build my life on the person of the apostles and prophets? Doesn't sound like a good idea, does it? So why does he say that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets? Because in certain times throughout history, these people, by the power of the Holy Spirit, served as God's mouthpieces to communicate judgment, to communicate covenant, and to communicate the message of God. We think often about prophets being the mouthpieces of God in the Old Testament and apostles being the mouthpieces of God in the New Testament. And what was the result of their ministries? It was this book. Is this book. And when he says here that we are to have a church built on the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus being the cornerstone, he is saying your church needs to be built on Christ and it needs to be built on the word. And this is our call. The church is to be built on scripture. I want to give you uh, three reasons why you need to build your life on scripture. We need three reasons why Christ needs to be the cornerstone and three reasons why we need to build our lives on scripture. The first one is I need to build my life on scripture because I'm going to doubt. Anybody doubt before? Unfortunately, I am subject to a roller coaster of emotion with my life. Anybody else? Some days you're doing great and you are convinced that God loves you and that the promises of scripture are true. And then there are some days, y'all, we just have a hard time believing that God would really show grace to me. And in those moments, where are we going to go when everything within me is telling me that the scriptures aren't true? We go to this word. I heard Alistair Begg say one time that our time here this morning is not about changing how we feel, but it's about reminding us of what we know. And when I doubt, I go back to what I know. And how do I know what I know? Because the Bible tells me so. Amen? We come to this word because I'm going to doubt. The second uh, reason we come to this word and, and why it needs to be the foundation of our lives is because I'm going to be inadequate. I'm going to be inadequate. I would like to think that I'm adequate to handle anything that's coming up in my life, but I'm not. There's going to be times I'm not going to know the answers. There's going to be some times when I need to counsel somebody in a situation that I've never gone through. I'm going to be found lacking in my life. And where do I go to make up the difference? Church, we come to his word. Y'all, if somebody stands on this word correctly, they can be a single person and can proclaim God's truth about marriage. Do you know that? That's what Paul says in, in, in Timothy. He says, make yourself a workman approved of this book. If we stand on this book, if this book is the center of our ministry, if it's a foundation of our church, we can speak to every area of life. Not because of our power, but because of what God is doing through his word. People don't need me. It's kind of refreshing, isn't it? They don't need me. They don't need my opinion. They don't need my skunk stories. They need the word. So we come this morning, we study, because I'm inadequate to stand up here and tell y'all anything that's helpful for your life. How can I help you? And that's why we come to the word. Finally, thirdly, y'all, we need the scripture as the foundation of our lives because I'm going to sin. I'm going to sin. And I'm going to fall short of God's holy standard. And worse, y'all, when we sin, we try to rationalize it. Try to make it out to be not as quite as bad as it, as it, as it is. 
You know, in ministry, a lot of times we talk about this kind of age-old question of how do you balance being, as Jesus was described in John chapter 1, full of grace and full of truth, right? It says the Word became flesh. We saw him, glory is only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, right? How do I be full of truth? How do I communicate God's holy standard? How do we care about holiness as a church? How do we make sure we don't just sweep sin under the rug and yet show grace to people, pursuing them redemptively and not excluding anyone from the gospel? You guys see how that can be hard? Balance. We see them almost as a seesaw, right? If I'm full of grace to someone, then somehow I have to remove grace from them. Or if I'm full of truth towards someone, I have to be less gracious. We're told in John chapter 1, Jesus hit the bullseye on the balance. And y'all, for thousands of years, I believe that this book, too, is hitting the bullseye on that balance. This is a book full of grace and full of truth. This book doesn't pull punches. It tells us God's holy standard, and yet page by page, we see God's grace, and we see the fulfillment of his promises. I love Hebrews 4.12, familiar passage of scripture. For the word of God is alive and active, Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Writer of Hebrews tells us that the word cuts deep. To the point where somebody might even tell you you're doing a good thing. And you come to the word and recognize that your attitude was wrong. It's going to cut you deeper than other people. But y'all, it does not cut us to hurt us. It cuts us to heal us. It's full of grace and it's full of truth. And so we come to the word. I need the word because I'm going to doubt. I'm going to be inadequate and I'm going to sin. Finally, church, the last thing we see in verses 21 and 22 is that the church must submit to sanctification. Will you read with me 21 and 22? In whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. In whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Our Father has a vision for the church. And it is in verse 21 that we would grow up together into a holy temple in the Lord. That he has saved us, but he's got a a plan for us. And it is for us to be sanctified. For us to be holy, for us to look like Christ and to be spiritually mature. And this is not something that happens immediately upon salvation. Church, we are in the middle of that renovation. We are a work in progress. And that fourth point that we have is the church must submit to sanctification. And I just want to communicate this idea that that God builds his church. And we got to get out of the way and stop trying to control our sanctification and start learning to submit to our sanctification. Have you ever tried to control your sanctification? Of course you have. Because we control everything in our lives, right? We feel better if I have total and complete control. What does it look like for someone to control their sanctification? It looks like somebody says, hey God, thanks for saving me. But now that you've saved me, I know how to live and be a pretty good person. So I'm not going to let you build my life. I'm going to build it on my own. And this person probably desires some level of holiness, as we all do, right? We have some destructive habit that we would like to get out of our lives because we recognize it is making our lives miserable. And so we go before God with our list of three things and say, God, here's, here's what I need to be working on. 
But the person who's trying to control their sanctification has a second list. And this list has sins on it that they are very aware of, but they dare not pray to God about these sins because they're a little too comfortable. And then we start negotiating with God, and we start playing like a misdirection game with God. Don't look over here at my lust. Look at how generous I'm being recently, right? Look at me serving. Don't look at my anger. And we negotiate, and we play games with God, and we find ourselves in cycles of unbreakable sin because we're trying to transform ourselves. And church, how foolish are we to try to build God's holy temple? Jesus didn't take out a mortgage on me. He paid for me in full, not with perishable things like silver and gold, but with the imperishable blood of his son. He saved me. He redeemed me. I've got to stop trying to control things and give it to him. Only God can make me holy. C.S. Lewis, in his classic Mere Christianity, said it this way in a beautiful way that I can never even write. Listen to this. Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right, stopping the leaks in the roof, and so on. You know these jobs need doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking about the house in a way that hurts abominably and doesn't seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he's building quite a different house from the one you thought of. You thought you were going to be made into a decent little cottage, but he's building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. Good stuff. What if God's plan for your life is completely different than your plan for your life? And what if your vision is to be a nice little three-bedroom, two-bath house, and he's trying to build you into a palace, into a holy temple in the Lord? That's scary, isn't it, church? Get out of the way and let God do his thing. Can we believe that God's vision for my life and my sanctification is scarier and messier than I could ever imagine, but it is also more beautiful and more glorious than I could ever imagine? Church, we've got to submit to sanctification. Let him do his work to build us the way that he wants to build us. In verse 21, I see another phrase that is so important. We might even gloss over it as we read this passage. It says, in whom the whole building, listen to this, being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. 1 Peter 2.5, Peter talks about this. He says that we are living stones being built into a spiritual house, right? And according to that analogy, am I the entire temple? No, I'm just one brick. I'm just one stone. Y'all, and God's vision for his church is not just about making me holy. It's about making all of us holy. And sanctification was never meant for us to pursue isolated. I can't practice my faith alone. There's no room for that, according to biblical Christianity. Have you ever heard somebody say those things before? I don't need the church. Jesus died for me, and I can just read my Bible and enjoy Christ by myself. Church, when we do that, what we're saying is that Jesus just died for me. And the gospel is not about every man for himself. God's vision for my sanctification and for yours is for all of us being fitted together. So how's that going? How's your community? 
Because, y'all, I believe making community a priority in your life is submitting to your sanctification. Because it gets messy. People hurt us. People don't do things we like, and so we find ourselves just the tendencies to isolate, just to pull back and not get around people anymore because of what they've done to us. But how are you doing in that? And you know it's hard, church, to come here for one hour on Sundays and participate in community. I don't know about y'all, but I'm running around like a chicken with my head cut off some Sundays. So how do we fit together in community and grow up? What do we have as a church to do that? This is just going to be a shameless plug for connect groups. Here we go. <clears throat> we have connect groups during the week, y'all. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, where we go to somebody's house. We eat a meal. And I sit around on the back porch of Dylan and Madison's house in the heat. Last week was hot. And we're just a bunch of dumb old bricks sitting around reading God's word. First thing I'll ask them is, how was your time in the word this week? What you been reading? Because when they share with us what they've been reading, that blesses my life. Because it's not just them reading in isolation. Suddenly we're kind of starting to fit together and grow together. Ironing, sharpening iron. Then we get to the book that we're going through right now, Discipleship Essentials. We're going to talk about spiritual warfare on Monday. We're going to talk about what does it mean to walk in obedience on Monday. And we're just going to be a bunch of old dumb bricks sitting around building God's house together. One of the myths of our church is that most people are not in a connect group. And that's just not true. In fact, we believe that about 70% of you who come on Sunday morning are in a connect group. Which is just awesome, by the way. But I would like to see that number between like 100% and, and maybe 100%. I want to address the 70% and then the 30%. I'm going to do the 30% first. If you're not in a connect group, okay, I'm not trying to beat you over the head with this, but I just want to, I don't want you to miss out on something that could be so beneficial in your life. To really get to know people in our church in a way maybe you haven't before, to really connect. Because the Bible says we're supposed to be fitted together. And are you just kind of coming and, and, and just kind of saying, hey, bricks, and then, and then going off of me by yourself? Are you in a community where you can hold each other accountable and you can grow together? This is so beneficial, y'all. Me and Olivia, our connect group is such a blessing in our life, and we want that for you. We want that for you. Just get with some people that you know and grow together. Quickly, I just want to address the 70% that are in connect groups. Some weeks, I look at my watch, and it's 5.30, and I think, yes, tonight's connect group. Let's go. And then there are other nights where it's 5.30 and you look at your watch and you say, oh, tonight is connect group. And we have food. <laughs> Anybody been there before? And we've got to cook the meal. Those nights are when you've got to submit to sanctification. And say, God, every bone in my body is telling me, stay home and watch Netflix. I don't want to go. I just don't want to see those people. I like them most of the time, but not today. I'm tired. But God, I believe that you want me to be fitted together in the community of the church, growing into a holy temple. And this whole thing, this whole community is not just about me. And so, Lord, I'm going to submit to sanctification. I'm going to place myself under 
your lordship. And I'm going to go. And church, I believe sometimes that the nights you don't want to go <laughs> are the nights you really need to be there. Amen? Yeah. Submitting. Say, Lord, I don't know how this is all going to work. I'm not looking forward to it. But I believe that if I submit to you, you're going to produce gold in my life. That's our role in all of this, y'all, is just to submit. Are we a church that, are, that is being built this way? Am I personally enjoying the access to the Father? Am I a person who's falling in love with Jesus every day? Am I a person who's getting into this word and, and, and my eyes are being enlightened to the beauty of this book? Am I a person who's submitting to community church? I believe if we build this way, we will honor and glorify our God. I'm so thankful for y'all. I'm thankful to be fitted together with y'all. Let's keep going for his glory. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for this time. Lord, I thank you for Connection Church Athens. Lord, and from the good news of Paul, we've been brought in together as a member of God's household. Father, I pray, would you give us perseverance as we continue to grow fitted together? Father, I pray that you would just show everyone in this room, Lord, their next step. God, what are you calling me to do in this season of my life, Father? And having seen incredible gift of grace, Father, that we would respond in worship and obedience, Lord, giving our lives to you. What I pray this week, we would learn how to submit to your plan and to your sanctification. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you all for coming. Y'all are dismissed. <laughs>